0: Christian, a new humanity in Jesus. So we're going to read this. We began speaking last week from the title, Life by Death, and I believe God has more to share with us, and so we're going to continue on that theme. Um, and then next week, we'll move to another, an, another title, but we're going to continue in Life by Death. And that sounds strange, right? Life by Death. And I really want to define that today. And so let's just read our theme scripture, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, uh, verses 17 to 21. It's on the screen. Let's let's read together in concert. Ready? Let's see if we can do this. (laughs) Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. We are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Amen. You guys may be seated. Such a powerful passage of scripture. Amen. I'm going to read the first uh, verse 17 one more time. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Amen. Being a Christian is about having a new humanity in Jesus. Amen. All right, so let's do this. We started out last week by saying that Christ died uh, to give us life, that Christ died to give us life. And so the title, Life by Death, is we have life because of Christ's death, amen? We're alive. We're alive in the spirit. We've been made alive. Uh, We have the churchy words of saved and born again. It's because we see them in scripture, uh, new creation. And so we started speaking last week about what does it mean to be a Christian. And more than going to church and having a religious routine, being a Christian is about experiencing life. Amen? Life. And if church is an escape for us, then we're missing the meaning of why Christ died. We don't want church to become a religious routine where we get to get away from what's really taking place in our lives. Because then this becomes nothing more than a religious fix. And God doesn't want that. God did not die for us to have a religious fix. God God did not die. God did not send his son Jesus to die on our behalf so that we could just have religious routine and structure. Jesus did not die on a cross so that we can get away from the realities of life for a moment. And so my fear is that we want to be here not so much uh, out of the sincerity of, of finding life and then letting that life then flow into the reality of everyday life. I believe many of us have fallen in the routine of coming here to escape what's happening in our day-to-day lives. And so that's not why Christ died. Christ died so that we can have life and have life abundantly. Uh, We read from John chapter 10, verse 9 and 10, where Jesus said this. He said, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. There's a picture of life here. Jesus is the door, and whoever comes and enters in will be saved. And he will go in and out and find pasture. Pasture. This is life. It's trying to paint a picture of life through pasture. It goes on to say, verse 10, that the thief does not come except to what? To steal and to kill and to destroy. Look what Jesus says. I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. It doesn't say I have come that they might have church. I have come that they might have religion. I have come that they might have good routine. No, I have come that you might have life. And I posed a question last week, how many of you actually feel life, life, life? Not just church, but life. And I'm not against church, obviously. Uh, my life revolves around church. But the life that we experience here in church together as a body Is meant to flow, it's meant to transpire, it's meant to continue into every moment of our lives. It's not for us to come here and feel something and then walk out and be like, okay, now I got to go live that. The goal of coming to church is so that we do experience life so that then we can feel that in our real day-to-day life, amen? And so God's plan from the very beginning was to give humanity life. And I know when I say life, that's a very general word, and if you, if you grace me uh, with some patience, this, we, we wish to define what we mean by life, amen? We, I, I want to, in the weeks to come, we're going to go into what does life mean? But I want you to know first and foremost that God wants you to have life, and he wants you to have life now. Life is not an afterthought. Life is not just something you experience in heaven. Life is not just something for you to experience one day after you die. Hopefully, you were really, really good here on earth, and then God says, welcome in into the pearly gates. Yes, there is a life of eternity, but that life begins now. Jesus said, I want you to know the Father, and this is an eternal life that you will know him, and you will know me. And so, if I know Jesus now, I get to taste what life is. I get, to, I get We get a taste of what eternity will be like. Now, yes, it's veiled in our human flesh, and it's veiled veiled through the corruption of this world. But you can have Jesus now. And by having Jesus now, you can taste life now. God wants you to taste it from, from, from the inside, not just from the outside. There's a life that you're supposed to be feeling now. And that's why Christ died. Yes, it's to secure us an everlasting life of him, but it's for us to feel something now. And so God's plan from the very beginning, if you look on the first two pages of the Bible, you know what you see? You see God giving life to not just humanity, but he gives life to earth. Everything about creation is God giving life and meaning. And he breathes his life. He breathes his breath. He breathes his presence. His spirit is hovering over the dark waters, and out of there comes life. And his words are life. And he's speaking. And and, and, and as creation is happening, you're seeing that it's good At the end of day one, it's not bad, it's good. And God's creative power and in his wisdom, what he creates ends up being life. And then he creates day two, and at the end of that day, it's good. And so God is creating life and life and life. And he gives that life that he created in the world, and he gives that to Adam and Eve. He gives that to humanity, and he literally hands them life. And you know what's the commission? Take dominion and subdue and, 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 and spread this. I, he's created life. He's given them life. And then he tells them to manifest and, and, and to spread life. So God, the first image that we see of God is that he is a life giver. He's a life giver to his creation. And so we're going to define life by this. We'll get into more detail, details. But life is defined by God's wisdom his will, and his instruction, okay? The life that we're going to experience is going to come out of his wisdom, out of his will, and his instruction. That is how we get to experience life. It's not from our wisdom. A pattern that you're going to see when you look into the Bible is that every time humanity chooses in his own wisdom what is good for himself, it leads to death. Every time, the fall of humanity that we read about in Genesis chapter 3, it's the minute that humanity chooses for themselves what is good, and and they deem what is evil. And rather than choosing from the tree of life that God has given them, they don't follow God's instruction, they don't follow God's will, and their choices lead them into death. So how do we find life? We find life by God's wisdom. We find life by his will. And we find life by his instruction. And so that means we have to choose life. We have to choose life. This is the premise that we see in the very beginning of the first two pages of the Bible. God says, I've given you life, but then you have to choose life. And so for us, we have to know that, that our decisions either lead to life or they lead to death. This is how it works. Every decision that we make has a consequence or a repercussion. And I don't want you to think that God's in heaven and, 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 and every time we do something that, that uh, I don't want you to see. Many of us see the Bible as just the rule book and God in heaven waiting to zap us, <laughs> just waiting to zap us for breaking the rule. But God in his wisdom, God in his will, and God in his instruction knows that certain choices, the repercussion is death. And because he knows this in his wisdom, he therefore formulates what we understand as rules and laws. And so he's putting the law there, he's putting the rule there to protect us from experiencing the death and the repercussion of that decision. And so what God is actually doing through his instruction and through his law is is protecting us so that life can continue so we can't most of us can't foresee what the decision is really going to play out to be but God does God knows what what leads to life but God also knows what leads to death and so all of God's instruction is to protect us so that we don't make a decision and then end life so God is also out to protect life he's out to sustain life for us and so what happens when man chooses in his own wisdom, it tends to always lead into destruction. It tends to always lead into some kind of death. And so what ends up happening, too? After our bad choices and after our bad decisions, we tend to try to cover ourselves up. We try to tr- fix ourselves up. We try to bandage ourselves. But it's really only God who can actually fix us and restore us. This is the principle that we're going to see in Scripture. That after our, we choose our own wisdom and it leads to death, It's only God that really can pick up the pieces. It's only only God who can really restore. It's only God that can really cleanse. And so we have to see that this is how God is our savior. This is how God is a restorer. This is how God is a redeemer. It's him who comes and cleanses and picks us up. And so our trust has to be in him to restore life again. Usually what happens to us is we make a decision, at least to death, and then we say, okay, now I got to do something else to bring life again. And then... How many of us have made a bad decision, and then in trying to fix that, make another bad decision? And then in and then trying to fix that, then we just made more bad decisions. And it's like the hole gets deeper and deeper and deeper. And so this is what happens with humanity. Adam and Eve, in their own wisdom, decide, and they take from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, which God instructed them in his wisdom not to. That leads to death. And then the next thing that they do is they try to cover themselves. They tried to clean themselves. They tried to redeem themselves. They tried to restore themselves. And so from the very beginning of Scripture, we realized that man cannot redeem himself. Man cannot save himself. What well, we need to know now is that you cannot save yourself. I cannot save myself. It's only God. And so we see a picture of this. It's there, Genesis 3, verses 7 to 9. I want to read it. It says, this is right after they disobey God and they eat from the fruit that they were not supposed to. It says, then the eyes of both of them were open and they knew that they were naked. And look at this. They sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. Coverings. This is where we kind of left off last week. They made themselves coverings. This is man trying to cover himself and redeem himself and heal himself, and cleanse himself. Man's natural instinct after the repercussions of his own decisions that lead to death is to cover himself. And so what do they do? They cover themselves with fig leaves. This is very symbolic of us trying to cover ourselves with things that really won't last. We're hurt, we're broken, we're wounded, and then we, we, we then take on something else to try to cover up the wounds of the consequences of our decisions. And it won't last. It says, And then they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden and in the cooler day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. And now he hides himself from God. That's what we do, right? When after we make decisions that lead to death, our natural instinct isn't to humble ourselves before God, it's to cover ourselves and then run from God. Who's been there? I've been there. And rather becoming vulnerable in the presence of God, man's natural instinct is to run further away. And then we're running away with whatever we covered ourselves with. <laughs> How long is that really going to protect us? How long is that really going to sustain us? But the picture that we have here in Genesis is that God is going to come in and he's the only one that can really cover man. In verse 21 it says this, also for Adam and his wife, the Lord God made tunics or garments or coats of skin and clothed them. This is a beautiful picture here. This is going to be a theme throughout your whole entire Bible. Where man, when he chooses in his own wisdom, it leads to death. Man's natural instinct is to try to cover and restore himself. Man does not have that capacity to do so. And it's God in his love and his mercy and his beautiful grace comes in and intervenes for his, for his creation, and it's God who covers them. So man, how did he cover himself with a fig leaf? He covered himself with, he ripped a leaf from off a tree and then tried to cover himself with that? Covering himself with things that are not going to last? It's almost like we, we, we make bad, bad decisions and then we soothe ourselves with things that are not going to last? Drinking, partying, uh, ignoring the real situation, anything to cover and kind of escape the pain of that moment. But what God wants to do is not heal you for a moment. What God wants, God's intention is not just to, you know, give you an escape from the pain. Ultimately, God's plan is full redemption, full healing, full restoration, and full healing. And so what we see here that God does, there's a principle that gets established here. In order for God to cover man, it says he covers them with garments or he makes tunics of skin. This isn't a fig leaf. This isn't a tree. How did God get the garments of skin? This means, I don't know how, we don't have the verses for it. But it lets us see from the very beginning that in order for man to For God to cover man, a sacrifice has to take place. And in Genesis chapter 3, we 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 don't have the name to the sacrifice. We don't know exactly what kind of animal it was. But God does some kind of sacrifice. And it's the sacrifice of this innocent animal that provides the means for God to cover his humanity. God makes a sacrifice, it's at the expense of the innocent that God then is able to cover humanity in their sin. And so this shows you that when God goes to restore humanity and to recover and, to, and, and, and begin the process to heal fallen creation, he doesn't just snap his finger He doesn't, you know, get them twirl around, tap your shoes three times, and you're healed. It takes effort. It takes work. It takes sacrifice. And it takes blood. And so from the very beginning on the first pages of the Bible, we see this. We don't get a lot of detail. But something happened in the backdrop that we didn't see that produced clothing in order for God to cover his creation after their fall and begin a journey of redemption. And so this principle of sacrifice, look at this, sacrifice to cover, sacrifice to cover humanity in their sin. This would be a principle that would uh, lead the nation of Israel. This would be at the heartbeat of God's, uh, chosen people later on god would choose a man named abraham and 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 tell him that he's going to uh, bless him and multiply him the stars in heaven the sand of the sea if you can count that all of that is going to be your descendants, but the purpose of God choosing a man and choosing a people is so that those people will be a blessing to the rest of the world. He's going to, he tells Abraham, I'm going to bless you, multiply you. He's saying, he's speaking life into Abraham, and he says, I'm going to multiply your life and your lives. And, and the goal and the goal and the purpose, look at this, is so that you could bring that same life to the rest of the world. It's the same thing that he wanted to do with Adam and Eve. He wanted, he was speaking life into Adam and Eve so life could be spread. This is the same promise that's for Abraham. And then after that, those people would turn into the nation of Israel. But just like Adam and Eve, God's people will prove. And just like you and I, we're going to prove that we're going to decide what's right. We're going to decide what's wrong, regardless that God has his wisdom of what's right and wrong. That We're going to choose that. And you know what's going to happen? And you know what happens? In the end, when we choose... What's good and bad for us, it always leads to death. But the same way how God responds to Adam and Eve, he responds to you and I to this day. He comes to redeem, he comes to restore. There's no one on planet earth that loves you like God loves you. And you need to know that. As much as someone loves you, your children love you, your husband, your wife love you, the closest people that love you, no one loves you like God loves you. And here's, this, here, here's another truth. No one can save you either as much as they love you. As much as you love yourself, you can't save yourself. As much as you love people, you can't save them and you can't really cleanse them. We can be there for one another. We can encourage one another. But it's only God that really can save us. And so with the nation of Israel, they are God's people. And they, too, would choose for themselves what is right in their own eyes. And it would lead to death. And God knows this. God knows humanity. He knows you and I already. And so what he would do is he, would, he, he had it planned. He had it planned. These people are going to choose for themselves what they think is right and wrong. This is going to lead to death. So I'm going to make a plan. It's going to be an annual plan. And this is going to be to redeem and to cover them. And so you know what they would get? God would give them the instruction of the Day of Atonement. This was a real thing for the people of Israel, the Day of Atonement. And we can read about it in Leviticus chapter 6. The day of atonement. That's a weird word. We don't use that really. But the day of atonement, what does atonement mean? The the word atonement means to cover. Now, where did we see this principle? In Genesis chapter 3. Where when man lost himself in his decision, spiritually dies, tries to fix himself, he can't. When God goes to fix him and redeem him is by a process of covering man tried to cover himself with fig leaves god makes a sacrifice and covers him and this is the process in order for them to keep having life to lead them back to life and so for the nation of israel god already knows that they're going to make those bad decisions that are going to lead to death so he puts it on the calendar before it even happens here's a day a day of redemption I'm foreseeing your failure. I'm foreseeing your error. I'm foreseeing you choosing your own wisdom against mine. But because I love you so much, then I'm going to also plan your redemption, plan your cleansing, and plan your healing. This is who God is. And so he institutes the Day of Atonement. And this was a crazy day. This was a crazy day. It would be a very bloody day. And on the Day of Atonement, uh, the high priest would be responsible to represent the whole people, represent their condition, represent their state, represent their sin. And on this day, the high priest would have to get a bull, and that bull would be sacrificed for his own personal sin. So, he, so, so, so he's, he's, he's bringing himself before the Lord on that day. But he will also have to get two goats, and these two goats now will represent the people. And sacrifices would be made on their behalf. And so this would happen one time a year. And then that priest would make the sacrifice of the bull, take the blood, take it through the tabernacle, into the holy place, sprinkle it on the altar, on on, on the Ark of the Covenant. Then there was two goats that he would take. And he would cast lots for these goats. This is really, it's like, you ever read casting lots in the Bible? You know, that's like uh, uh, ancient flipping a coin, heads or tails, uh, with, with, with divine uh, <laughs> results at the end, okay? So it's, it's an a, a old way of how we flip the coin to decide something, but with spiritual uh, uh, application involved, and this is how God would instruct the people to do things. But on that day, they, they would bring in two goats. Look at this. Two goats. And they would cast lots. And so one goat that would be chose would be the goat that's going to be sacrificed at the brazen altar for the sins of the people. The other goat, would this goat, the priest would touch. And he would, he would, he would declare the sins of the people on this goat, but this goat would live. One goat dies, is sacrificed for the sin. The other goat, the sins are placed on the goat, and then they would take that goat and lead him. On on, on that goat would be the sins, but would also be the guilt and the shame. This is symbolic for the people. We're going to place the sins. We're going to place the guilt. We're going to place the shame on this one. One dies for the sins. The other one lives, but this one will be taken out into the camp, and then led out into the wilderness. This goat was called the scapegoat. He's a scapegoat. In other words, we're going to put all the blame on this one. One is going to die for the sin, but we're going to put all the blame on this one's back, and then we're going to lead it outside the camp of Israel to symbolize the removal of their guilt and shame. And so at the same time, one is living, one is dying, there's justice, but then there's also mercy at the same time. So one's going to die for the sin, and the other, the guilt and sh- is going to be used to remove the guilt and shame from the nation. And then, and then the high priest is going to take that blood, and he's going to walk through the tabernacle, and he's going to sprinkle that at the, uh, at the ark. And this is where God's going to meet him, and this is where God's going to atone, cover their sin. And this is going to bring them into right standing before God. Crazy day. I don't want to be the priest. I don't want that responsibility. Let's read a little bit of that. Leviticus chapter 16, verse 11 says this. Aaron, who is the high priest at the time here. Aaron shall bring the bull for, look, his own sin offering to make atonement. And atonement is to cover for himself. This is to cover himself from his sins. Atonement means to cancel a debt or to forgive a debt or to pardon a debt. To cleanse from debt. So Aaron's going to bring a bull for his own sin offering to make atonement for himself and his household. And he is to slaughter the bull for its own sin offering, for his own sin offering. So that's to take care of himself. Verse 15, we're going to read. And he shall then slaughter the goat for the sin offering of the people and take its blood, look, behind the curtain, which was the veil that was separating the holy place from the most holy, and do with it as he did with the bull's blood He shall sprinkle it on the atonement cover. The atonement cover is the cover of the Ark of the Covenant. God told Moses back in Exodus, that is where I'm going to meet you. Where does he meet, man? He meets him where he covers him. He's going to meet him where he's going to restore him. He's going to meet him where he's going to make peace with him. He says he shall sprinkle it on the atonement cover, and in front of it. This is crazy. Just imagine a priest walking, I mean, slaughtering animals, carrying carrying blood th- through the camp, through the curtain, then grabbing the blood and throwing it all over the <laughs> Verse 16 says, In the same way he will make atonement for the most holy place because of the uncleanliness and the rebellion of the Israelites. Whatever their sins have been, he is to do the same for the tenth of meeting, which is uh, which is among them in the midst of their uncleanliness. Verse 30. Look at this. Because on this day, on this day, atonement will be made for you. What does atonement mean? To cover. So look, on this day, atonement will be made for you. On, look, to cleanse you. So you're gonna be covered, and the covering is to cleanse. I'm going to cover you to cleanse you. Then, before the Lord, you will be clean from all your sins. So, yes, it's a day of justice. Look at the principle here Israel, his people, are getting pardoned and they're getting cleansed, but not because God snapped his finger over them. The principle is still the same, like in the garden they're getting forgiveness and God is covering them and cleaning them because something is dying in their place. So this is, this is a picture that we're supposed to be seeing. Because I don't, I don't want us to think that we have life because God snapped his finger over our heads. And, and, and we say, I'm saved, God loves me. I'm in the bliss that God loved me. And then we don't realize that huge sacrifice was made in order for us to be atoned, which allows us to be cleansed, which allows us to continue to experience life. And so the life that we have is because something else has to die. This is how they were cleansed you know what? We're meant to see poor goat. We're meant to see poor bull. What did the goat do? What did the bull do? Nothing. They're innocent. And now this goat is being slaughtered on their behalf for their continuance of Rebellion, sin, their continuance to choose wisdom for themselves. That's why that animal is dying. That poor scapegoat, yes, he gets free and and he doesn't die on that day, but they lead him outside the camp. They put all the guilt and the shame on his back too. And you know what's going to happen as they lead him out into the wilderness? Eventually he dies too. So both goats are symbolic. All of that took place so that God could cleanse his people. Because the reality is this. For their sin, they should be on the altar, but they're not. So that is a picture of grace and mercy towards them. But it doesn't happen without justice. So justice does this. It does make someone guilty. It does make someone pay. The grace is that someone has paid it on behalf of the guilty. And this is the picture that we're seeing. The picture that we see in Genesis, uh, the first chapters, the picture that we see, this, the nation of Israel lives on this principle. This was the most sacred, the most consecrated. This was the most important day for the, for the children of Israel. They had many feasts. They had many things that they had to do. But this was the day because this is what cleansed them and brought them back into peace with God. This day, the day of atonement made them right before God. And they would do this year after year after year after year. How many animals? Thousands, hundreds of years. The innocent paying for the guilty. Why would God introduce this? Why would God introduce this? Because it was God introducing how he would actually redeem all of humanity. When Jesus would be born... Before he would come, the prophets started to announce. The prophets would start to announce. I know you guys have been doing this year after year, year after year, year after year, and we keep doing this, keep doing You know what happens when you do something over and over again? When you do something over and over again, something that was supposed to be so impactful becomes just a religious practice. And and so year after year, I mean, you got animals dying on their behalf. And the people just doing it out of the routine. And this is a good thing. This was instituted by God. But it just goes to show you that how if our hearts get disconnected, it then just becomes a routine. And then what is it for? This is the same thing that can happen with us with church. God's the one who instituted church, not man. Fellowship and gathering and us coming together, that's not our plan. No, if it was in our purpose, I don't want to deal with you. I don't want to talk to you. You don't waste my time. I love you, and I, you know, and, I, and I see you when I want to see you on my terms. But when I don't have grace and when I don't have mercy, I don't want to deal with you. Who do you think instituted forgive your brother, forgive your sister, love those that persecute you? That wasn't us. That, that, that was God. And so this is supposed to be a good thing. But if we, lose, if we lose the heart of it and then we just do this and it becomes repetition, then what is it really doing for us? You know what's happening as we do that? Innocent people are dying. The innocent are suffering at our expense, and we're not getting nothing out of it in the end. And so you know what the prophets end up doing? You know what? God also forsoothed. I mean, this, is, this is what they need, but this ain't going to last this is going to become a routine to them. This is going to become churchianity to them. They're just going to get churchy about this. And the meaning and the significance is not going to mean anything. Eventually, they're going to become dull to the blood of the animal. Eventually, the significance is going to go away. It's kind of like us when we first meet God. It's like, oh, my God, you come into the church. like You feel the presence of God. And it's like, oh, my God, God is here. And all it takes is a little bit for you to just come in. She's sitting in my seat. Sitting in my seat today, like I sit there, and then like she didn't say hi to me. I'm not gonna say hi to her later. Like, but you didn't even say hi to God. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, we didn't even honor God. But then we're mad that people didn't say hi to us. No one can tell you nothing. God forbid someone tells you something. Like, no one can tell us nothing. Like, and then we get a system. That's that's what religion is. Religion is doing things and your heart not being connected to it, just going through motions. This happens in our relationships with our wives, with our husbands, with our children. Like eat, child. <laughs> it's there. Eat it. You better eat it. It's like it's no the, the heart is gone. It's like we, you know we wake up. You know, how much you got paid? Let's pay these bills. You know what I'm saying? Like it just becomes this. We got to do this because this is what we're supposed to do. But is that really life? And so the prophets and God already foresaw, not that his system was broken, but the people were broken. And so God plans an ultimate covering, an ultimate atonement. And so the prophet Isaiah would say, after years and years of corruption, and God would tell him, man, you guys are so rebellious. If, you know, like, if, if, you don't, if you don't get this, if you don't start choosing my wisdom, eventually you're going to lose the land that I have given you. You're going to become slaves and exiles. And then and, and prophets start rising. This is why you got prophets. This is why we got prophets in our Bible. The prophets are going to try to get the people to get out of a system and, 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 and get back to the heart. And and, and, and the prophets are going to get, try to get the people to choose God's wisdom and not their own. And so Isaiah gets up and 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 he makes the greatest. He makes the greatest messianic prophecy of the old testament that we have in Isaiah 53 we're just going to start at verse five now now look at this this is Isaiah speaking about the ultimate sacrifice that is going to be made the system is going to get replaced and an ultimate sacrifice is going to be made and look what Isaiah declares in Isaiah 53 verse five he says but he was wounded for our transgressions he's wounded, not for his transgressions For our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities, not his own iniquities, for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him and by his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to His own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Don't you see the scapegoat there? Don't you, don't you see it how how the scapegoat then carried the sin and the weight and the shame? and and so this is painting a picture of the uh, of, of, of the ultimate sacrifice is going to be made. It's going to be the goat that is slain on the altar, but it's also going to be the scapegoat all at the same time. It says he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment. And who will declare his generation? For he was caught off from the land of the living. For the transgressions of my people was he stricken. And they made his grave with the wicked, but with the rich at his but with the rich at his death, because he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Verse 10. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief. Look at this. When you make his soul. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul unto death, and he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bore the sin of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. And Isaiah makes a prophecy about an ultimate sacrifice that's about to be made for the people. It's not going to be a goat this time. It's not going to be a bull. But there's going to be someone as an ultimate sacrifice to remove, to cover, to atone, to cleanse and to redeem humanity. And then we see this fulfilled in our Gospels. John the Baptist, baptizing in the Jordan, sees Jesus coming and he says, Behold the Lamb of God, which takes away the sins of the world. He saw Jesus coming and he heard Isaiah's prophecy in his ear. He said, This is him. I see him. And so Jesus then would become the lamb. But Jesus would be the fulfillment of the whole system. The whole system would be fulfilled in Jesus. Jesus would be the goat that's going to get slaughtered on the altar. Jesus is going to be the scapegoat that carried the sins and the shame away from the camp. Jesus would be a worthy high priest to carry his own blood. And Jesus will walk through the veil. And then Jesus will offer the blood back up to himself and then please himself in the whole process. He will be the completion of the whole thing. As the priest would walk through the tabernacle, Jesus himself was the tabernacle. He was, he was all of it bringing it to completion in himself. And so when you think about man's redemption, is that, could we really do that for ourselves? Not at all. We, we were, we're not worthy to be any of those parts. We're not worthy to carry any of those parts, nor is there strength for us to carry all those parts. Yet Jesus was all those parts within himself. And this is why it says this in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 11. But when Christ came as a high priest of the good things that are now already here, so, so now we know that Jesus is the high priest too. In this system, in the old system, they had different people carrying that weight. Aaron carried this weight. That goat carried that weight. The other one carried that. The bull carried that. The tabernacle had its own system to hold itself up. But but Christ fulfilled all of it. But when Christ came as the high priest of good things that are now already here, look, he went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle that is not made with human hands. That is to say, is not part of this creation, meaning himself. He went through himself. He didn't go through a system to save you. God went through himself. It was The cleansing came through himself. And, and, and what he did, it says, he did not enter by means, look at this, of the blood of goats and calves. But he entered the most holy place once and for all, look, by his own blood. So he's the high priest, and he, it's his blood. And so he carried his own blood. He's carrying his own cross. He's carrying the, 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 all the weight on his own. to cleanse our consciousness from the acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God. He did all of this to save us from death. Why? So that we could have life. He did all of this to restore life back to you and I. Not to restore church, not to restore system. He did this to restore life. 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 God is a giver of life. But most of us interpret most of our salvation and we interpret our Bible as a book of rules. And we feel like we're just living by rules and regulations. God's like, you're missing the whole point of this. Of course, they're there. Of course, there's things that God calls us to obey, and there are things that God tells us to do, but it's all to secure life. And God knows in his wisdom that if he leaves wisdom to us, when we choose, what we choose always ends up being death. So this is why even in our Bible study, we start talking about why we need wisdom. We need wisdom in order to choose life. And how many times have we chose something and it led to death? And so in the choosing of our own will, right, it's sin because that sin is going to lead to death. This is why God calls the sin. Because God in his wisdom knows that this leads to this. You choose this. This leads to death. Romans six twenty three says, "For the wages of sin is death." You could say the cost, the price, but we also know the consequence and the repercussions of sin, which is sin is when we choose against God's wisdom and we pick for ourselves and decide what that wisdom's going to be. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal. Look, life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So why does God want to take sin away from us? He wants to take sin away from us because sin is what leads to death. And you can't have death and life. You have death or life. And so this is why God is against sin. And we'll define what sin is and we'll define what life is as we go. But the reason why God has to get rid of sin is because sin is going to bring us into death. And it's only by choosing God's wisdom that we will experience life. Look what Paul writes in Romans chapter 5, verse 12. And, and, and what we got to see when we look at our Bible is that Adam and Eve start a pattern. They actually reveal the pattern of the human heart. They basically, they, they, kick, they kick wide open the door of, of sin for all humanity. And, and all of us kind of inherit this sin nature. And so, there's something that Adam and Eve passed on to all of us. But in Christ, as new creations, there's something that Christ passes on to us. And so, Adam gives us something that's negative. But in Christ, Christ can restore and give us something different. And so, Being a Christian is not about behavior modification. Being a Christian first is about being made a new creation. Because you can't expect someone who has a certain kind of nature to just behave a different kind of way that is contrary to their nature. They can only do that for so long. Right? You can only change behaviors for so long if you yourself have, have not been changed. And so when God saves us, he doesn't save us just to change behaviors. And this is the problem with many of us. When God saves us, he gives you a new humanity. You are actually not who you were before. This is, as we progress, we're going to get into this next week, then he talks about an old man that has to die in you. And a new man that has to live. And so if you try to get an old man to do new tricks, we already know how that dog works. He can't do, an old dog can't do new tricks. And so also a old creation can't have new habits unless the old man becomes new. And in his new humanity, then he can change who he is. He can change his behavior because he changed who he is. So God first doesn't want to change your actions. He wants to change who you are. He wants to change your actual identity. And by him making you new, then you will have new actions. But we have to know that something has to die for new life to happen. This is how life happens. So let's read Romans 5 with this understanding. Look. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man. Which one man? Adam, Adam and Eve. we blame blaming both of them. <laughs> Adam and Eve. Well, through God's first creation, humanity. I'm going to be coming to a close. And death through sin. See, look. Life is to avoid death. Okay? Life is the opposite of death. And death, how did death come? Through sin. So this is why God wants to deal with sin. Because if God deals with sin, it eliminates the death. As long as we are in sin, it feeds death. And so in order for us to experience life, we have to not be in death. In order for us not to be in death, we have to get out of sin. So, therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, and death through sin, and in this way, look, Death came to all people because all sinned. Sin will lead to death. Therefore, it's sin that steals life. Verse 15. So that's what Adam left us. That's our inheritance from our first parents. Sin came through them, and then death passed to all of us because in the end, we all sinned too. So like I said last week, we could get mad at Adam and Eve but we wouldn't have done any better. Maybe we would have lasted another day, maybe a week, a year, but eventually all of us would have kicked open that door of sin. And we know this is true because God didn't send you as the Savior later on. God sent himself because there would be no human, there would be no human that would be able to do this and do it right. So that's what Adam left us. He left us an inheritance of sin that has left us experiencing death but look at verse 15 but the gift is not like the trespass what does trespass mean sin or offense but the gift is not like the trespass what gift are we talking about Romans 6 23 says for the wages of sin is death but the gift of who God is eternal life so but the gift in verse 15 who's giving that gift God through Jesus so the gift is not like the trespass For if the many died by the trespass of one man, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to many? My goodness. Adam passed death to everyone. Right? That was Adam's gift to humanity. That was what Adam left as an inheritance in Adam's wisdom and in Eve's wisdom they chose wrong and they passed death to everyone but the gift is not like the trespass the gift that God gives is the total opposite adam left us death through Christ Jesus he's brought life to all of us verse 16 says nor can the gift of god be compared with the result of one man's sin it's also telling us this too if you size those up What Adam gave and what God gave, God didn't just equal and invert, he didn't just invert what Adam did. He superseded what Adam did. And so, yes, Adam put a curse on the world and he damned all of humanity after him. But what Christ did, he, he went above, he went beyond what Adam can do. And God's gift supersedes the failure of Adam. Nor can the gift of God be compared with the result of one man's sin. The judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation, but the gift followed many tra- tra- trespasses and brought justification. You know what justification is? It, it, it means to be declared righteous. You're just. Not, you're, in, you're, you're just before God. You're seen as right before God. So we have justification. And how do we have justification? By God's reconciliation. What is reconciliation? Bringing to good standing relations between more than one person, you know, two or more people. God says he has given us the word reconciliation. Who did the reconciling? Us? No. God. God brought us into good standing. Look at this. God brought us into good standing with himself by Jesus. So the reconciling is being done on God's part through the son Jesus. That brings us into proper standing in front of God, which is justification. When that takes place, that is called regeneration that we've been made new. That's what Paul's saying. Those who are in Christ are a new creation. How does a new creation happen? By reconciliation. How does he reconcile us? Through the justification, making us right with God. And now we have regeneration. Those are all the churchy words. Regeneration, justification, reconciliation. And we read those words like, yeah, yeah, all these Asians. But look, verse 17. For if by the trespass, of one man, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? Verse 18. Consequently, just as one trespass, Adams, resulted in condemnation for all people, so also one righteous act resulted in justification and look at the word and life for all people so the justification the regeneration the reconciliation is for life for just as through the disobedience of the one man the many were made sinners so also through the obedience of the one man the many will be made righteous And how does this happen? How does this happen? You put your faith in Jesus. You don't get a bull. You don't get two goats. You don't come and throw blood all over the stage. God has already done the reconciling through Jesus. What we do is we trust him by faith. We trust That Jesus is the fulfillment of all of those things. And by faith, we have life. (laughs) That's my part. Yes, that's your part. So this is why we can never take credit or we can never take glory. This is why we can't boast about our salvation. One, because we weren't good enough to earn it. Two, we couldn't carry the redemption process for it. There's no way you could redeem yourself. There's no way that any of us will live perfect enough to inherit that. And so that's why the only way to receive this is by trust and faith. This is why it's called the free gift. Because you trust God and believe in faith. This is why Paul started out that same chapter in this manner. We're going to go back up to verse 1 and 2. Look how he starts it out. Therefore... Since we have been justified through faith. Through what? We've been justified through faith. Not your bull, not your goat. God provided his own sacrificial lamb, his son Jesus. We have been justified through faith. We have peace. Peace is reconciliation with God. Through who? Our Lord Jesus Christ. Through whom we have gained access. Again, look, by what? Faith into this grace in which we now stand and we boast in the hope of the glory of God and so I have been made right by Christ which makes me new so that I can live out a new humanity the churchy words are justification by reconciliation that gives me regeneration that brings me into sanctification you just learned all of that just not in churchy words. And so we have life by death. Jesus is death. And I thought it was important as we journey this series about what does it mean to be a Christian, that we, we learn what makes us Christian. It's not because I come to church makes me a Christian. And it's also not because God snaps his fingers and you become a Christian. Is because of the work of Jesus on a cross and a resurrection, a power to raise himself from the grave, what he did on account for us. And if we would trust him, that makes us a Christian. So I'm not sure, you know, what in your life led to you considering yourself a Christian. I know for me, as a child, I was like, oh, we're Christian. I'm a Christian. And, and and that's because as far as I remember, I was in church. And my mother brought us, and she brought us to Sunday school, and we, and we, and we did Bible studies at home, and she made us fast. I mean, eight years old, doing a three-day fast. It's crazy, but we was, <laughs> my, my mom had us all in. We were going to church early Six o'clock in the morning going, up. it was crazy. That lady was crazy. That's what I thought. But I realized now she was doing everything in her power to give us the opportunity to have faith in that Jesus. And I thank God for her now more than ever because I know it was those opportunities. It was her positioning us because she knew that she couldn't choose our salvation for us. She can only desire it as a parent desires good things for their children. But she positioned us. And so my whole life, we're growing up in it. And I remember thinking, okay, I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian because I go to church and I do Bible study. And then when I was 16 to 17 years old, I had a real moment with God. And then I realized, like, oh, my goodness, my mom can't choose this for me. God is placing before me a decision to choose by faith his atoning work, and if I choose that, then I'm a Christian because I chose that, not because my mother did that for me. And that was my journey. And I realize now, I can now trace back, wow, that's the day that I became a Christian. And I started my faith, with, my faith journey with God. And there were good times, and there was a lot of bad times, there was a lot of ups and downs. And you know, all the, all the hellish parts of the journey... I, I now am able to see it's every time when I chose in my own wisdom what was good and what was bad for me. It always, le- it always has led to death. It never changes. Don't think you're going to make a bad choice and it's going to turn out good later on. <laughs> it never, never, ever changes the result. And eventually, you got to say, I just need to trust God's wisdom already. And when we do that, you see how it leads to life. I'm not going to tell you try it. We've already been trying it. We, we already tried the other way. It leads to death. So I don't know where, what timeline for you, you became a Christian. I don't know if it's because you've been in church so long. You say, oh, that's, that's, that's what I am because that's what we did, and so I'm a Christian. Today I want to tell you that you have an opportunity by faith to choose this for yourself. So it might be weird, I think I know everybody here, and we've all been in church together for a long time. But more than us just being in church together for a long time, my desire is that you become a Christian by your choice. And God respects your humanity to do that. He did not force Adam and Eve to choose and his wisdom was right. He respected their humanity, and allowed them to choose that for themselves. And when they chose wrong, He has been on a mission to redeem and save humanity because he loves you that much. And so I want to tell you, if you decide not to choose him, it does not mean he's going to stop pursuing your heart because he loves you, because he's a loving father, and he will never give up on any of you. So today I want to leave you with life comes through Jesus. It comes through God loving you so much that he was willing to sacrifice his son for you. And the reason why that's important is because that is what leads to life. And by having a relationship with God, he will reveal to you his wisdom. He will reveal to you his goodwill and his instruction. And I promise you, God will not ever call you or lead you into something that's going to lead you to death. It's always going to lead to life. And that's what God desires for you and for us and for our church. So today I want to actually just have almost just a moment of quiet and peace just to allow you to be in your own thought and in your own heart. And this is just an opportunity that God is gracing to you for you to choose that by faith if you so choose. I just pray that you will feel the overwhelming love of God towards you as his sons and as his daughters. And know that there's nothing that will ever, ever separate you from that love. Not today, not tomorrow. He will always be your father. His arms will always be wide open. He wants to make you new. In him, there is life, and in that life, there's a new nature. You're not bound. We're no longer in prison of our old humanity. There's a life for you that he wants you to experience, and that's found by having faith and choosing him. Amen. Amen. Let's give God a round of applause. Amen. I celebrate anyone who's in their heart today made that decision. Um, I didn't want to make it churchy and it's meant to be real. So uh, I encourage you to continue on your journey and your your walk with Christ. I encourage you to continue coming back or if you made that decision or you chose that while you're watching online, I want to encourage you to stay with us. Because this is not about getting a habit and routine of church it's about experiencing life and experiencing life now and um, that's where i want us to go as a church and i want for whatever we feel here to transpire into our lives because if it doesn't then we're missing something we're missing something and so i want us to rejoice here and i want us to rejoice out there i want us to have fellowship here I want us to have fellowship out there. More than me, that God wants that. And so I pray that um, we would experience life together in this new humanity. Amen. God bless you guys. I love you guys so much. Thank you for your time and your patience. God bless you. We love you.